Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Toda menina baiana tem um santo que Deus dá. Toda menina baiana tem encanto que Deus dá. Toda menina baiana tem um jeito que Deus dá. Toda menina baiana tem defeito também. The light and lilting sound of Toda Menina Baiana from Gilberto Gil. Good morning, this is me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM with Jazz Shapers. Jazz Shapers, you will know, I hope, is the place where you can hear the very best of the people who are shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul. Alongside their equivalents in the world of business, you'll be hearing from someone who's called a business shaper. And I'm very pleased to say my business shaper today is John Stapleton. He is the founder of at least three businesses, and he's doing lots of other things as well, in the food and beverage world. Little Dishes is latest iteration and before that many of you will know the new Covent Garden soup business which kicked off in the late 80s. Lots coming up from John very shortly. In addition to hearing from John you'll also be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkon Dorea. Some words of advice for your business and on top of all of that some wonderful music from the shapers of jazz, blues and soul including the Preservation Hall jazz band Nat King Cole, Esther Phillips and this from Billie Holiday. I get no kick from champagne Where alcohol Doesn't thrill me at all So tell me Why should it be true One of the all-time greats and one of the great shapers of the world of jazz. That is Billie Holiday, and I get a kick out of you. This is Jazz Shapers, and as I said earlier, I'm Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM every Saturday morning from 9am. John Stapleton is my business shaper today, and he is the co-founder of the new Covent Garden soup business way back in the 80s, which did exceptionally well. He's also the co-founder of Little Dish. They make food for children, little children, and they're blooming tasty too. And he's also founded Glencoe, which if you were in California... 15 years ago, you would have heard of Glencoe because he basically, that man, John, who you're going to meet in a moment, he's the one that launched really tasty, wonderful, fresh soup over there as well. John, it's a real pleasure to have you. Thank you very much for joining me. Good morning, Elliot. It's great to be here. Thank you. You are someone who's always been intrigued by nutrition and food and the science of food. I believe that you studied uh, food science. doesn't always translate into somebody who's going to create a business. If you go way back to that first feeling of I'm going to do something, do you know what precipitated that? back in the 80s before New Covent Garden Soup kicked off? The whole thing with New Covent Garden was a mystery to me as well as lots of other people. Um, yeah, I had no idea I was going to do something like that. I grew up in the west of Ireland. I went to university. I studied food science. I did a whole bunch of things. One thing I was sure about was that I didn't want to work uh, in the food industry in a, with a white coat. I didn't want to be a scientist in the, in, in the food industry. I wanted to do something exciting and different. I had no idea what that was going to be. And until I met uh, my future business partner, Andrew Palmer, in Reading back in 87, uh, I had no, really, uh, no idea what form that was going to take and what was going to happen and how I was going to actually live out my dream. What I wanted to do was try to find a way, if I could, to combine my passion for for food in a very natural context and my understanding of um, nutrition from my interest in athletics and track and field from when I was a student and a, um, and in university and, and combine them together in a sort of a, some sort of cool way where I could make a career out of it. That was my kind of ambition. And if you go back to the mid '80s in Ireland, there wasn't really an awful lot of an opportunity career-wise to do any of that. Never mind 
you know, follow your follow your vision. So it all just came together um, by serendipity, probably by meeting Andrew in that uh, a summer's day in 1987. Now, um, just to fast forward to 1997 for a second, that business you set up, and I want to talk a lot more about that particular first move. That business sold for a significant amount. Ten years later, a fantastic uh, first achievement. If you go then back to the, the, those first days with your with your business partner, then. When you looked at it, did you have any idea of the things you were going to come up against or were you beautifully and blissfully ignorant? Back then we were completely ignorant, yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes I think that's an advantage. If you if you realize how big the mountain is that you're gonna you know you're gonna to attempt to climb, you can be put put off by it because it seems insurmountable. Uh, ignorance can be bliss, yeah. And I think for me certainly and for Andrew too. Andrew was a little more experienced, but he was a stockbroker, he had a keen interest in cooking. Um, I was inter- interested in food, but mostly from the technical side of things. Neither of us had any practical experience about how to start a business, how to develop a consumer-facing brand in the food industry, how to make anything in particular in the, in a food context. Uh, so it was all, you know, pastures new for us. And that was a great advantage. We weren't, you know, sort of tied down by expectation. In fact, nobody expected us to do it at all. Find out exactly how they actually did do it in a few moments. Stay with me here for more from John Stapleton, my business shaper. Time for some music. This is Sugar Plum from Preservation Hall Jazz Band. was the Preservation Hall Jazz Band from New Orleans. I'm reliably informed by Dom, our wonderful producer, with Sugar Plum. This is Jazz Shapers, and my business shaper today is John Stapleton. If you weren't listening earlier, you wouldn't have heard that he is the super successful entrepreneur behind Little Dish in shops right now. New Covent Garden Soup, actually probably in shops now as well. He was the man that set it up along with his business partner back then in 1987, Andrew Palmer, and he sold out. His first business sold out in 1997. He set up another one in 1998 over in on the west coast of America. America in California, doing pretty much the same thing, John. I mean, you know, there's a word that's been used to describe what you've done, which is essentially reinvention, a bit like Innocent Smoothies did to to the drinks world. You did that before they did it. You were the precursor. As you look back now and think about the fact that people can get fresh, healthy food in a supermarket in that incredibly complicated supply chain, um, would you have thought back then, I'm going to reinvent? Was that what it was about? Was that what was driving you or was it something much simpler? I, I, I'm honestly not sure what was driving us um, at the time, apart from doing something new that wasn't done before. And in fact, it pretty quickly also, for Andrew and myself, it became trying to pr- prove those people wrong. They were telling us that it couldn't be done. Who was telling you that? Well, everybody, really. You know, uh, Without thinking about it too much, people would say, that's, that's, that's silly, that's ridiculous. Fresh soup, those two words just don't go together. You've you got to cast your mind back to 87, right? These days, fresh soup... It's obvious. It's everywhere. People enjoy it all the time. Um, but in those days, it was if you talked about liquid soup at any rate, it was, okay, how big does the can need to be? It was always in a can. Yeah? Now, lots of reasons for that. You know, soup is usually the leftovers from yesterday, and it needs to be put together, and it's very dangerous if you don't you know, cook it properly. And So all of that, you know, lots of traditional reasons why it ended up being in a can. But we wanted to develop a soup which actually tasted, funnily enough, of the ingredients you put into it, um, not of the preservatives or not of the salt or not of the spices you put into to cover up for the over-processing you need to, to do to make it, make it safe and secure and move it through a, a long shelf life. 
So all of those things were, we were trying to achieve those things. And people said, especially the, the technical guys in university, for example, said, um, you'll kill somebody doing that. It has to be sterilized. It has to be put in a can. Or uh, people aren't going to get this. They're just not going to understand why soup should be in the chiller aisle. Or uh, if it's you know, typical non-entrepreneurial things, like if it's such a great idea, somebody would have done it by now. So you know, all these things were thrown at us. And we just kept thinking, we got to do this because you know everybody says it, it, that it's impossible. And that was like a red rag to a bull to us. And I imagine the first time you walked down the aisle in Waitrose, which I believe was the first, uh, the first shop that stocked it, you must have felt a million dollars. Did you or was it just like, oh, finally, I haven't killed anybody. It looks good. It tastes good. Because the packaging was very distinctive, as I recall, very homemade, very, it felt natural, all those things. How, did you feel great or am I, am I being a romantic capitalist over here? It's almost like you heard the story before. But yeah, the, the, it was just that. It was, it was exactly in Waitrose, in West Ealing, where I used to live. We went down, there was a friend of mine over for, for a weekend from Ireland. And we went down to, uh, to get some food in. And some, there was this gentleman... Uh, reading every single side of every single panel, it seemed like four times over, and put it back on the shelf, and took it back again, and put it back on. A... In the end, we were hiding behind the aisle watching him. <laughs> he made his way. He, he made, his made way. this. Look, someone's going to reveal you. Look, there's the man. Well, he made his way all the way to the to checkout and bought it, and we were doing high fives all the way home. So it was it was great. It was a great feeling of yeah, it's actually you know it's a it's a tangible product that we made here with all the theory we've been, all the arguments we had for the last eighteen months about why and how and what it should look like. Um, somebody bought it and somebody's got to take it home and, and actually eat it. And the carton you mentioned, that was really important because we had very little money to actually carry out any sort of marketing of any of any appreciable nature in those days. We spent all our money building a factory because we had to develop a new process. It didn't exist. It was a revolutionary approach. So we had no money left to market, which is a bit of a problem if you're building a, a, a consumer-facing brand. So all we could do really was... Um, try to convey as much as possible about the product in the packaging. So carton, in those days at any rate, meant fresh because you could only get milk or juice in a carton. And we put soup on the outside and there you had fresh soup. And it took a while for people to figure it out. But when they did and when they consumed the product, they were taken by it. We were, we were convinced if they only tried it first, they would come back because the flavours were great and the quality was really good. And like I say, it tasted of the ingredients that we used to start with. Which well, is novel. And there's the story. Keep it simple and you can just about pull off a revolution. Lots more coming up from my business shape. That's John Stapleton, the founder of at least three great businesses. Ladies travel in a couple of minutes and some classic Nat King Cole. But before that, some words of wisdom for your business. I hope you're thinking about it from our programme partners at Mishkon Dorea. I'm Daniel Farrandheim, an associate in the planning group at Mishkon Dorea, part of the wider real estate department. You may find as a, uh, as a business or as a small business or if your business grows that um, you're having problems finding accommodation. This may be partly in due to the fact that permission has been given nationwide with a few minor exceptions uh, to allow officers to be converted to residential. An awful lot of office stock, therefore, is being converted to much more valuable uses for owners. That causes big problems for those who want to occupy small units because those are the ones that are clear targets for the exercise of this right. There is some hope on the horizon however. Uh, We've been engaged with a few clients uh, on large mixed-use development schemes who have either offered or have been asked to provide starter units for commercial occupiers, um, be they tech startup industries or, or just small office or retail units. This is almost the equivalent of affordable housing for the residential sphere where uh, in granting permission for housing development a local authority might insist that some of those are made available to uh, those who can't 
afford to occupy it on the open market. A similar sort of concept of affordable commercial units is gaining more ground and is worth investigating. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. Every Saturday morning, I have the privilege of meeting someone who's shaping the world of business, someone who's done something, someone who's thought about it and actually made it happen and has been super successful. If you've missed any of the earlier programmes, I believe there were over 170 or so now. How did that happen? Then you can go into iTunes, put in the words Jazz and Shapers, and you will find us there. British Airways High Life is another destination for you if you're travelling in the near future, or if you're sitting at home right now, cityam.com is another place where you can find some of my previous brilliant guests. My bri- my brilliant guest today, he's not previous, he's present, he's right here, is John Stapleton. He's the co-founder of New Covent Garden Soup of Glencoe Inc., which was the soup company on the west coast of the States, and of Little Dish. They're feeding children like mine right now with super healthy and tasty dishes. John, we were talking before about that moment where you saw your product on the aisle. It was West Ealing, it was Waitrose. If you close your eyes, you can imagine the feeling. It must have been sensational. You talked about the other things that you did, the fact you built stuff. Stuff, the fact that you didn't have any money left for marketing. How did you survive in those early days when the funding was tough? What did you do? Did you dig in your own pocket or were people coming up and, uh, and, and investing small amounts of money? Actually, we, uh, we raised quite a bit of money um, through a number, number of different rounds to start with. With the original concept, Andrew and myself, we did basically friends and family. And then we got a few, what you'd probably call these days business angels. We, we called them something else then. can't remember what it was. But a little bit more money came in to keep us moving towards proving the concept. Um, and we managed to put together a kind of a Heath Robinson, I suppose, uh, process, which really just got us off the ground to prove that the product could be made and did some market research and spoke to Waitrose, which was key at the time because they were very, very interested in the product. And with that confidence, we went then to a venture capital firm, brought in a lot of money. Because you can't half do this. You can't build a brand or build a factory or design all this stuff. You can't do it in piecemeal. You've got to either do it or not. You, yeah. Mm. So you have to kind of raise enough money ahead of the game, which is a little bit scary when you haven't really proved your concept yet. So we raised lots of money, uh, quite a lot of money from our point of view, through a venture capital firm and built our first factory in, um, in, in London. And then we had to go about marketing our product, having really no resources left to do that. And what we did really was focus very much on NPD, which is basically new product development, basically bringing new products out onto the market on a regular basis. And then doing lots of, lots of PR to actually um, spread the word about what we were doing. And we were the first to introduce, for example, a concept which was called Soup of the Season. And then we subsequently did Soup of the Month, and the retailers were very he- hesitant about this to start with. They thought, oh, it's got to change every season or change every month. The point is, it, it didn't. It was just basically called Super of the Season. So the carton was the same. We just had a different sticky label on the outside and a different product inside. So they were selling SOS at the till. And the consumer was buying pea and mint if it was in a summertime or Tuscan bean if it was in the wintertime. And we got a lot of a great way of doing market research. So we found what sold well and we introduced those products into the main range next season around. So the, 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 the range grew on that basis. And PR just basically um, publicised all of the the, uh, the stories around the different types of products with seasonal ingredients. I remember once we launched a product called Borscht, which people might recognise. It's a beetroot. I love Borscht. Yeah, it's actually Ukrainian, originally, originally Ukrainian beetroot soup. And we launched that. Um, we were a little bit apprehensive as to whether it was going to sell or not. Of course it didn't, but what the hell? We got lots of mileage out of it and got lots of PR coverage. And there was great stories about, about you know, buying beetroot at the local market and bringing it to our factory and, and, and making it 
a product out of it. So that's what we did. We, we expanded the range, we introduced new flavors constantly, and we talked about it as much as we possibly could. That's all we could afford in the early few days, uh, early few years. Well, there you go, needs must, and that's actually how you then led to almost £17 million of revenue, I believe, um, and then the eventual sale, which we're going to come on to very shortly. Time for some music. I love this. It's another shaper from the world of jazz, uh, blues and soul. It's Nat King Cole and Let's Face the Music and Dance. There may be trouble ahead But while there's moonlight and music and love and romance That was Nat King Cole and Let's Face the Music and Dance. John Stapleton's my business shaper and we've been talking about all sorts of stuff. You kept it simple in the the early years, John, you said there. I want to just ask you about how it felt when you sold that first baby, which is that first suit business. Was it... um, exciting and a little sad or was it just exciting because you were ready to go you know what it was more the latter uh, it was 10 years in i think i certainly was and most of the team were ready to move on um we had done a lot and it's really difficult to replicate the exciting thrusting years of the first two three four years with lots of you know white knuckle rides and lots of problems and challenges but inevitably the momentum of a business begins to, to, to taper back slightly. Does, does um, that mean, just, to, just to thinking about that, I often hear this, some entrepreneurs are brilliant at setting things up and then actually the day-to-day grind is like, actually, that's for somebody else. Had you brought in a big management team underneath you or were you still the, the operations director as well as the, the inspiration? No, I was still the operations director because that's where I came from. I came from the whole technical side because of my... My, my academic qualification and then the challenge of building the uh, designing the process which we patented uh, and building the factories and developing all that side of things was key so I was still doing all of that but very much with a much more of a brand hat on as well because I learned about branding uh, during the New Covent Garden days um, but we had brought in a lot more people as well you, I, mean, I think one of the key things that a, an entrepreneur needs to do is recognise when the time is right to not so much pull back, but to bring in people in different disciplines who are better at here at, at what they do than he is or she is. So bring in experts in, in different areas. Otherwise, you're limiting the growth and the potential of your own business to your own ability, which is a bit ridiculous in my, in my view. So it's inevitable. You've got to bring in people who know an awful lot more about different disciplines, who can run the finance department properly and can, you know, can do marketing better, although we were branding. So it's really important to do all of that. And we had recognised that and had a pretty good team in place. And, you know, we all were kind of thinking, looking at each other going oh what's next and I think we all wanted to kind of move on at that point it was the right time to sell and so you jumped on a plane aren't you sold set up another business similar similar idea fresh soup but delivered on the, the west coast of America in California I imagine you went in much wiser you said when we first started talking you know the ignorance was fantastic in a way when you know stuff are the problems bigger because you really know what they look like from above it below it to the left and to the right or is it a sense of I've been here before but it's slightly it's a slight iteration Interesting question, that. Um, just to, to, to clarify, I, I jumped on a plane about a year before we sold right. New Covent Garden. I spent that year, 97, spending half my time in California setting up a business and the other half of the time... Someone's got to do that, John. Yeah, it was a crazy Tough. way to do it. It was... It, it, well, no, I mean, the point I'm joking, I make, of course it was. The yeah. point I'm making was it, was it was a very schizophrenic existence. I was doing some, you know, stuff in the States, which was very relevant to that project, and some completely different stuff back here and getting the business ready to be sold with, with the team. So it was, it was uh, the year went by so quickly, I didn't know where, whether it was coming or going. Um, but in, in terms of going out there, um, I would say, looking back on it, there was, there was, we, we did a lot right with Glencoe. Glencoe didn't work. It wasn't a success. 
Certainly, if you put, may say, little, a new common garden chip company was a success, Glencoe by comparison was not. We had to pull out of the out of the market. But I think I went over there slightly thinking I probably know it now, and a little bit arrogant with that. And I think that's probably a natural feeling to have because we had done all this. You know, I had done all this. No, everybody said we couldn't do it. We did it despite everybody, and we made a success out of it. We sold the business and we moved on. So, okay, what's, what's different about going to California and doing it? Um, I think one of the quotes is, and I can't quite remember how, how it goes, but I think you know the US and the UK are two countries divided by a common language, and it's so true. I think it's very, very easy to make the assumption, and I think Tesco actually made it a few years too, uh, ago too, um, that because it's English and people think the same way, then you know it's just basically doing the same thing in a slightly different context. It's not. There's a lot of differences between the UK mm-hmm. and, and the US. So yes, we knew a lot about it. Yes, it was a startup with 10 years of very relevant experience, which is unusual. Uh, but that doesn't guarantee anything. Mm, indeed. Final chat coming up with my guest, John Stapleton, today. Plus, we're going to play a track from Esther Phillips. That's after the latest Traffic and Travel here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Give him all my love That's all I do And if you saw my love You'd love him too And I love him from Esther Phillips. If you didn't know, that's a Beatles cover, but you probably did, didn't you? John Stapleton's my business shaper here. Just for a few more precious minutes, if you weren't listening earlier, he's the founder of New Covent Garden Soup, along, of course, with his business partner, then Andrew Palmer. He's also the co-founder of Little Dish, which we haven't had much time to talk about at at all, really. He's also founded a business which didn't do quite as well in the States in the middle called Glencoe. Basically, he knows how to make great food come to market and do pretty damn well. John, over the years, obviously, you've you've seen it now. You've done the science side. You've done the brand side. You've done the operation side and all that. Can you recall the people that have meant the most to you, that have really given you sage advice, that have sticked despite the changing environment, despite the competition, all those other things? Are there people that really stick out for you? That's a great question. Um, and I had to really think about it. But my, my answer, I think, would have to be my, my track and field coach from way, way back when I was gosh, 18, 19, something like that. Um, and I think a lot of people, sometimes I made the mistake that when you go into business, you, know, you, you have to have all the answers to all your business challenges and that nothing that you've learned before is anyway relevant to what you're going to do next because you've never been in business before. But I think actually a lot of what you learn when you're a kid and at home in your home environment um, and at school is of great relevance to how you're going to tackle problems and deal with things like adversity, which is something that happens in an entrepreneurial world all the time, is very, very relevant. And um, I did a lot of track and field when I was younger. I did a quite a senior standard. I represented Ireland at various levels, a senior level as well. And in 1984, I was... um, on course, at least I thought I was on course to qualify for the Olympics in LA. And long story short, I injured my ankle. I had a fantastic season the previous season. What was the know. event? What were the events? Triple jump. I used to do triple jump okay. and long jump, but mostly. He's triple. very tall. Thank I should you. say he's very. I'm not. I'm not. But he's Johnny's tall. Six foot four. There you go. Taller than me. Uh, which is apparently ideal for triple jump. I didn't know, but basically, I, you know, it's 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 great when you get that opportunity to 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 excel at something and put the effort in. Of course, you learn a lot from in terms of discipline and role model, etc. But I got injured and I thought, this is so unfair. It's not my fault. I've done everything right. I've, I've applied myself the best I can. And my, my coach looked at me one side and said, look, you know, 
this will happen to you all over and over again. It's not about the problem. It's about how you react to the problem. It's not about the fact that it's unfair, because it is unfair. Life's unfair. Everybody's going to get their fair share of adversity, and they're going to have to deal with it. What differentiates you from everybody else is, or the next person is, how you deal with it, how you pick yourself up and how you move on. Mm -hmm. You can sit there and feel sorry for yourself and mope about it and spend the whole summer or the next rest of your life worrying, wondering what could have been. And, you know, nobody's going to know. So forget about it, move on and show what you can do the next time around. Well, look, that was great advice. Great advice. And three decades later, three businesses later, super successful entrepreneur. What are you doing right now in a, in a nutshell? What, what's life looking like for John Stapleton? I help businesses grow these days, um, basically leveraging the experience that I've used over the last 25 years growing my own businesses. So uh, I really like the variety, being able to speak to and advise different entrepreneurs typically and, and inspire people to you know, follow their dreams and do, what they, do more than they think they can do with their businesses. So I help them grow from, let's say, startups sometimes, but typically from a two or three million revenue stage to 10, 15, 20 million revenue over a three or four per, uh, year period. And that can cover any area of the business because that's what you do when you're an entrepreneur. You pretty much do everything yourself. But it's great to be able to advise others and they can learn from your lessons and be inspired by what you've done and hopefully not make the same mistakes at least that you have. Well, and you get your fix of something new regularly, which uh, by the looks of things, John, you probably quite like. Listen, just before I let you go, um, what's your song choice? You've been fantastic guest, I should say. What's your song choice and why have you chosen it? My song of choice is um, from Al Jarreau and it's Roof Garden. And this reminds me, brings me right basically back to a time, mid-90s it was, when I was in this long-distance relationship with my then girlfriend and now wife. Uh, she's German. She lived in Frankfurt and I lived in, in London during the soup days. And uh, I was there for a weekend and it was a lovely summer weekend. And we were basically in this, um, at a wine festival in a fantastic um, castle, which was sitting basically in a vineyard overlooking the Rhine and Algero was playing, was headlining in the courtyard, and we were sitting in the roof garden. So it was very, very appropriate when it came on. It brings back, flowing, flows back, such wonderful memories of that time, which are with me today. Fantastic. Well, here it is for you. This is Algero and Roof Garden. Oh, yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it, baby. Come on. What's your mama going to say? You finally made your part like this guy. That was Roof Garden from Al Jarreau, the song choice of my business shaper today, John Stapleton. Super determined, someone who said, give it to me, give me adversity, I will overcome it. I love that. A reinventor, someone who said, this category can be changed and I'm the man who can do it. Talk about a great attitude. And someone excited by the new and the fresh, someone embracing all sorts of change all the time. And all three things, really critical if you want to be a successful entrepreneur. Brilliant stuff. Join me again, same time, same place. That's next Saturday, 9am here on Jazz FM for another edition of Jazz Shapers. Stay with us now, though, because coming up next, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.